0: MLR Kickoff, episode
1: 53, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg.
0: Rugby diehards, welcome to the show. Depending on when you're tuning in, just nine sleeps. It's more exciting than December for a child and Santa on the way. Nine sleeps until Houston and Colorado kick things off and MLR season three. 2020 is underway. Dan Power with you, joined, as always, by my co-commentator, the champion himself, Peter PJ Rugby Nine Steinberg. Pete, how are you, my friend?
1: I am doing well, Dan. I am doing well. I am um, today calling in on the phone because my enhanced internet at my Marriott in DC doesn't seem to be very enhanced. So, um, not calling over over the internet, but on the phone. But but doing well, and I am I am with you on the excitement leading up to. Uh, um, season three, 2020, um, the trilogy, and uh, um, you know, was excited to be able to watch a little bit of uh, Major League Rugby. Some of the teams playing last weekend and following them online. It's uh, it's, it's getting very close.
0: Yes, it was good to uh, see Seattle pull a rabbit out of the hat for the last minute uh, cell phone broadcast, but better than nothing. We'll we'll talk all preseason later <laughs> in the show, Pete, but. <coughs> I've got to tell you, the enhanced internet at Marriott. When that one falls, it's it's heartbreaking. I was on a conference call on Friday and it kept dropping. I kept getting kicked off the internet. And uh, let me tell you, Hilton, if you're listening, talk to me. I'm available, ready to switch my allegiance.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I, if there's a a techie listener who knows this stuff, like is is the enhanced internet at a hotel actually Better, or is it just a way of you paying an extra four bucks? It's you know that'd be interesting to me. Obviously, it's just really. I mean, you know, it's like anything else. If there's lots of people online, lots of people streaming videos, it's going to be slower. But um, it's fine. You can hear me fine, and I'm excited to talk about.
0: Is this the final team? This is it. We have ticked all the boxes. And uh, when did for, we start? For our friends, Does we start. St- we started with. Who- we started with Austin many many moons ago. Man, man,
1: that, that does seem like a long time ago. But we started I'm so excited. long ago
0: that Austin was still elite when we talked about them.
1: It was. Uh, <laughs> it, we started reviews in July. Whew. Wow, six months! Six months of preparation for the season. Um, no lots of change with a lot of teams. Man. Yeah, lots Lots of of, lots of teams have had a lot of changes since then, but um, it's great to get into old glory. Um, I'm actually in Washington DC today, so um, in
0: Georgetown, so very appropriate that we're talking about um, old glory. The Hoyas basketball in full swing too, so see if you can get a game away there. But uh, yes, if you are in the DC area tuning in, we have saved the best for last, so it is old glory. And one of the expansion teams, so very new, but looking through their roster, Pete, which we'll jump into right now, it is a team that is positioning themselves to be very successful out of the gate.
1: Well, I mean, I think that they've done a really, really nice job of um, bringing in some players. They've, They've got some players from overseas that are going to be good. But I think most importantly for an expansion franchise, they have a number of players that have already played Major League Rugby. I mean, you know, the one that steps out to me is um, um Palamo, who I thought played his way into some great form with Houston last year, coming back from injury. Um, I think he's, uh, is he the captain or vice captain? I think he might be the captain, right, of old glory. That's what I think, right? He's the captain.
0: Can you help me out here? Well, they do call him Big Daddy Threats, so you're not Big Daddy unless you're the Big Daddy. So let's go with okay. uh, Big Daddy Threats so, as the captain.
1: So, you know, real solid in the centre. They have, you know, one of your bromances in Taikato Simpson at fullback, a guy that was really a star for for Glendale. Um, they have uh, um, Farnana Schultz, who um, played a bit with Houston, I thought was a real solid player, got picked up for the Eagles last summer. You know, they've got um, Jake Turnbull, who um, played for the Raptors. So they've got a bunch of players, which I think is important. Players, American players, that have played um, Major League Rugby in the last couple of years. And that's going to help them hit the ground running.
0: Yeah, and of course, the big one you didn't mention, Tendai Matawira, uh, affectionately known as the Beast, just came off his World Cup victory. Did he play Major League Rugby last year? They've got a lot of uh, other good players. I'm just saying that
1: the core okay. of their squad has Major League Rugby experienced players. Now, they've also brought in some guys that have done more than that. I mean, this, I mean... This did, is what happens did, did, did when I don't Beast listen do to anything? It, 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 did, did the Beast do anything? Did the Beast do anything? Did he have a decent autumn, a decent fall?
2: Was his that um, Okay.
0: I don't, I don't... I think he travelled. I think he went to Japan and just kind of had Oh, I think a, he did go vacation. to Japan. That's right. Well, he watching that World as... Cup final, it was a bit of a vacation up front for him against that English pack. Pete. No, uh, <laughs> no hard feelings, sir. Huh? I mean, single-handedly, single-handedly,
1: he destroyed um, the English pack, and and that's going to be that's going to be tough for any team that's coming across them in the scrum. And of course, we know how important the scrum has been in major league rugby, the first two seasons. So that is the big. Um, one of the big uh, um, signings that they've had. But they've got some others. They've, they've got, you know, Mungo Mason, who's um, uh, a, uh, you know, former New Zealand U20 player and played Scotland sevens um, in the back row. I actually think their back row is pretty interesting. They've got Travis Lawson that they got from Austin Elite, who's, who was, um, you know, a, a really, really good player. And then they've got, um, you know, Jack McLean from um, Penn State and uh, um, Nick uh, Mirashem, who's from Cal. So they've got some sort of collegiate All-Americans. They've got like, I like the mix that I'm seeing from these new teams. And of course, you know, um, I think some of those local places on the East coast. So they've got a couple of guys from Penn state, a couple of guys from Wheeling Jesuit. They've got some of these guys that are coming in um, from the East coast, the college players, I think will be useful for them. What are some of the other
0: um, stars they've brought in overseas, Dan, that stand out for you? Well, I really like what they're going to do in the back line. I think Scrum half, they've got Michael Reed listed as their Scrum half on their roster. Most people here will know Michael Reed, South African uh, by birth, but has been in the US playing pretty much everywhere for a long time. And uh, Danny Tuzitala uh, as well, he'll be playing some nine for them. Although he's not listed as a nine, he will be playing some nine for them as well. So actually is listed as a nine, sorry. I've got to do a little bit better job with my eyes reading. But that's, uh, I like talking about the back speed, you know that. So that's a good foundation. I kind of am picturing in my mind uh, Tussie Tala throwing the ball out to Robinson, their fly half, who uh, played uh, Waikato and Bay of Plenty. And he's throwing a nice flat ball wide out to 13 to uh, threaten Palamo and, Little jinking run before he offloads inside to DTS, and there you go. They've got some talent out wide as well. Uh, Renata Roberts Tanana of the son of Carl Tanana, who is arguably one of the most successful uh, sevens All Blacks for New Zealand in history, and most people will recognise the name from his work he does on the TV now. Uh, they've got Declan O'Donnell. Another New Zealand sevens guys also played New Zealand Māori, and Chiefs Highlanders Blues Waikato Taranaki. Like again, we see that good smattering of clubs there through New Zealand. So in terms of backs, they look strong. Nakatini from Seattle, obviously was. I think Nakatini's
1: a big yeah. He's a big pickup, but actually their lock combinations I think are going to be are going to be really interesting um, because they've got Navita and Nakali who um, played with the uh, um, Fiji Drua, which was in the, It's uh, um, it called? The NRC, National Rugby Championship in yeah, mate. Yes, in, it is. in Australia. And I think they won it, right? Didn't the uh, Fiji Drua win right. it last year? Yeah, I think, so you're I, think, right. I think I think they did. And, and they've got um, um, uh, Dylan Petersay, who is um, South African, um, and, you know, also play with the Austin Elite. So I think that it's going to be interesting. You know, there, there are some guys here that, you know, I always like looking at who's really going to step up. And, um, you know, Jack Iscaro, who uh, um, is going to probably, I think, for, probably play hooker for them, but can also play prop. Um, they use the relationship that they have with the Scottish Rugby Union to get him over to Glasgow in the fall. And, you know, we have to remember that D.C., um, have a relationship with the sru scottish rugby union which gives them access to some of some of these opportunities so having some of these young players go over and train in a full-time environment so i'm really excited to see how those um how uh, um iscaro does at, at hooker and then they've got max lam who um was at wheeling jesuit but uh, you know, played in New Zealand and played with the, um, you'll remember him playing with the Raptors. So it's going to be like, if this squad is, is interesting because they, you know, I think, I think they're going to be good. I think that they're going to have the same challenge that um, all the other expansion teams have, which is it's tough for the coach to know exactly which of these players can step up. I mean, you can watch as much game tape as you can ever see, but we've seen guys that have come from like top minor 10 teams come over and struggle in Major League Rugby. So that's going to be – so really knowing what your best lineup is and then, you know, they're going to struggle, I think, a little bit with their depth.
0: Well, that yeah, was going to be um, my next question to imagined... you, Pete, was where do you see holes? We, we talk about the talent throughout the roster and what we really like, and there is a lot to like, but where do you see the holes? And it is depth, do you think?
1: So I think, I think depth. I think that, um, you know, they don't have a huge amount. They're They're, they're starters um out wide I think are really strong and I think they've got a lot of guys with sevens that experience that you know might be formally listed as a center but they can actually um play wing and you know the roster that we're looking at they've only like I like their three locks but that's only three locks so you're one injury away from like taking one of your back row players and putting them as, as a lock, which we've seen a lot in the first two years of major league rugby to be fair so I think that's going to be um, interesting, and I think in most positions, like in um, uh, in, in fly half, you know, when you look at who's behind Jason Robertson, who's the experienced fly half they brought in, they have um, you know Mike DeBulus, who's the uh, um, former Penn State fly half, so two-time All-American, but that's a big step up for someone like that. So like most of, most teams, they've got you know lots of talent, but you know, you lose that fly half, um, you know, uh, you lose like the beast at prop. Now the, the other props are solid, but I don't think any of them uh, are like super strong. It's going to be, it's going to be a real challenge. So, um, but yeah, fly half is probably a place where I think they would be tested. I think the outside wings, I think is a place where, where, um, they'll be tested. And then I think, you know, they're just an injury or two away in every position in the back row where they're going to be thin. All that's no that so take... different than any of the other major league rugby sides. I mean, I think we saw it with New England. I think Atlanta's the one team, the one expansion that seems to have some depth, but a lot of that depth is also young collegiate players that haven't been tested in the pro level yet.
0: And we saw year one to year two, there was just a, such a massive jump in, in quality. I think we will go even bigger again this year now that the players who have been in the league for two years, domestic players, have got 24 months plus of professional training and a professional environment under their belts that we could see another rather large leap. And that is a really good point you make. These expansion sides didn't get the initial cast of the net in year one and then year two for the talent right so they're relying heavily on untested collegiate players and I think you brought this up in the last show for a long time collegiate rugby had actually assumed the the top mantle of quality in the US I mean there was a time when I was playing for Nyack in in the late uh, 2000s where cow would beat you know the top super league teams where now I think that has shifted significantly in the other direction. So before in, in other rugby countries, in the UK, in the Southern Hemisphere, these college players would be going into the U20 system or the Colt system, some people would call it, right. where you could see right. them tested in a little bit more of a, a tougher environment and bring them on slowly. But here it really is you know, straight to the deep end of the pool and a little kick in the back and do your best. But we will uh, see, will we? I really believe we're going to see some great talent emerge this year, too, Pete.
1: I think it's right. I mean, I think, you know, one of the advantages for the game in the US that the um, expansion teams will provide is more opportunity. There's more opportunities for these younger college players to step up immediately. Um, You know, I think a problem that we have to solve for Major League Rugby is what happens to the 22 year old college kid who's super talented but not quite good enough to play major league rugby. So he gets into the squad, but he doesn't get to play. Where does he go? And I think you'll see, you're already seeing some of that where teams are able to get their players. Like this is why the Mitre 10 is a great partnership because you can get young guys to go down there, play club rugby in New Zealand, try and fight for a Mitre 10 spot, but they get to play men's rugby. Um, I think we'll see it more with Old Glory as they look to develop their young talent We'll see them, some of, their, some of their guys go to Scotland, go and play in the club competition, I think it's called the Super Six, that they have, get a bit of experience. I think we're going to see more and more of these younger guys getting their playing time in the off-season so they can come into the league ready to play. Because, you know, you, you went through it, I went through it. The difference between playing university rugby and um, men's rugby is like, you, you know... you. Most players that you hit at university, they'll move. But you'll hit some guys in men's rugby, and they just don't move. Like your shoulder moves. And it's just like old, grizzled, bigger, more physical. Um, we actually saw a little bit of that, I thought, in the Seattle-Tasman um, uh, game. With, you know, with all, most of those guys are in their early 20s, late teens. And, you know, but Seattle were able to control them because they were bigger, older, and meaner.
0: Hey, we'll talk about this later. Did you see my boy Brad Tucker taking intercepts, scoring tries, looking really, really sharp? You look good. Real good. Brad, I know you're listening. He, he, you does, he, does, he did look good. He did
1: look good. Can't he wait. He did look good.
0: Can't, Can't wait. wait. Oh, <laughs> God, it's going to be so good. I get a message from Lou Stanfield every time I talk about Brad Tucker on social media. Just, you know, I've got to stop it. But, you know. I'm upgrading <laughs> you really to the model, Lou. Sorry. What can I say? It's, you know, I'm, I'm just... I'm it's, just... It's,
1: it's a younger, better model, Lou. That's what you say.
0: Yeah. It's just... It's, it's nature. I can't help it. All right. <laughs> I'm going to run you through the opening month here for Old Glory, Pete. And I want you to let the, the viewers, know, the fans, the fans know what you think we will get in terms of where they end up in the East. They go Nola Gold. Then they go Seattle. Sabercats Austin to open up in February. What are you expecting out of that first four game right for them?
1: Well, I mean, I think that, like most teams, and, you know, we talked about this last week with Scott Lawrence, you know, for these expansion teams, um, by, the, by the time they get to the end of that first month, they want to know where they are. They want to be in, in a position where they can improve. I mean, they've actually got the first um, two months. And then they have their bye week. And so, you know, I think that it's a tough start, right? It's at NOLA, um, the Seawolves come to them. So that's a bit of an advantage. It's a long trip for Seattle. Um, and then they've got the Sabercats and Austin. And, and you'd imagine that the Sabercats and Austin in their opening are gonna be two of the, the two easier games right um you know that's that's certainly what what you'd expect from last year and maybe a little bit from the uh, um uh from from the preseason so those first two games are like where you survive those second two games are look, where you look to perform and then you know now you're in you know Atlanta the raptors i mean there are no, like like i'm looking at this thing I, I don't know that there's any easy games but to me I think that if I'm um, um, Andrew Douglas, the coach, I want to get to their bye week, which is the first week in April, still in contention. I want to get there healthy. I want to get there still in contention. And then I get two weeks to fix some things where I'm not out of the playoffs yet. And so I can really go strong because then, they're, then they have um, Nola visit them. Then they've got the free drags in Toronto. And, and so to me, it's about getting to that, getting to that bye week. I think, I think it's going to be tough, right? I mean, you know, we talk about Austin and Houston being um, potentially the easier games, but I don't think old glory go into those games as favorites in either of those games. They're both away. They're coming up against teams that have, have, I mean, certainly for Houston that have been for a while, Austin obviously going through a lot of changes right now, but still with some core players that have been together for a while. Um, but I think that, you know, if they can nick one of those and they can be one and three with a lot of learning and still healthy
0: after that first month,
1: I think they'll probably
0: be pretty happy. Well, two men in charge of making sure they are ready to go through that first month. It's Chris Dunlavey, one of the owners out at Old Glory, and Andrew Douglas, our head coach. You sat down with Chris and Andrew to have a chat, all things Old Glory. Take a listen to Pete Steinberg with Old Glory DC. Chris, thank you
1: so much for joining us on Major League Rugby Kickoff.
3: Thank you. Real honor to be here. Appreciate your time, Pete.
1: So let's, let's talk a little bit about, about your background. You're a very successful um, businessman, but your business also has connections with professional sports. So tell us kind of what you do, the business that you've developed, and, and um, what insight that's given you into the professional sporting
3: landscape. Sure, uh, well, I started my my professional life as as an architect actually, and uh, uh, got got smart quickly and got into an alternative line in the building industry of of project management uh, and for the last twenty six years, I've been uh, building. Uh, Brailsford and Dunlavy, which is now one of the top 30 uh, project management companies in the U.S., we built lots of large, complex facility. Uh, programs, a lot of higher education facilities, a lot of school systems, and we've always had a pretty brisk business in sports venues of various kinds, ranging from uh, collegiate stadiums and arenas to professional stadium projects, down to community recreation facilities and the like. Um, and, I, you know, one of my biggest claims to fame was I was a, the city's project director here in D.C. for building Nationals Park, uh, which we just wrapped about 10 years ago. Um, and uh, that 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 kind of project has always been uh, a big core of our business. And that's really where I got my my exposure to the the economics of of professional sport. Uh, And I think that that set the stage a little bit for uh, uh, me agreeing to take on uh, an interest in in MLR when it came along.
1: Now, you know, you're not just a a business guy that likes rugby. You're a former player. So give us some background on sort of how you found rugby. Um, Give a shout out to some of your former clubs and, uh, um, you know, maybe a little bit about what you uh, um, what you love about the sport
3: sure i mean i'm a i 'm a, a a club level player uh, i don 't want to overstate my my own achievements on the pitch um, i uh, I found the sport uh, as a young professional uh here in in the d c area actually after I had gotten out of college um, oddly enough i i didn 't play in college although I, I knew a number of guys on on the rugby club and I got a lot of encouragement um uh, from them that that if there was any sport that my very meager athletic skills fit um, rugby was it there was there was a spot on the pitch for me um, so I gave it a try when I got out of college and was living in the DC area here which uh, as many people know is a real hotbed of uh, rugby culture um, there's a, a strong history of a lot of uh, very good uh senior level club teams, both men's and women's uh, in the greater D.C. area. I latched on a one, the Washington Irish, uh, which has really uh, defined for me my my rugby experience. Uh, it's a uh, uh, a club that over my years with it uh, moved up and down between Division Two and Division I uh, in, in various cycles, but was always a club very in touch with the culture of the game, the values of the game, and as a result, it was a great... Uh, social experience. A lot of of my best friends in life are are associated with that club. I actually, uh, I kind of did two stints with it, meaning I uh, uh, played for the Irish for five years in the uh, from 1989 through the early 90s um, took a break to start a business and, and raise a family and uh, went back out for the club's 30th re- reunion in 2010 um, and as I got in my late 40s and early 50s did, a, did another round of, of playing with the guys at uh, uh, down on their lower level sides where, where they let a old fellow still run out on the pitch with them um, so it's been a it's been a terrific terrific experience um, and uh, meant a lot in my life. And that, that's certainly that that passion for the sport that has gotten me interested in uh, taking a look at this professionally.
1: Well, Chris, we, we may have played against each other. I, I, I played against the Washington Irish several times in the sort of late in 94, 95. I don't know if you, were,
3: if you were. Oh, yeah, we may have we may have overlapped a year. Yeah, we then. may
1: have overlapped a little bit. But um, so yep. so you're obviously a you know, passionate rugby guy and you're a very smart businessman. Would you call your investment in um, Major League Rugby a passion investment or a smart business investment?
3: Oh, it's definitely a passion investment. Um, I mean, we're, we're Paul Sheehy and I, who who uh, we're, were the original, uh, the, the founding partners here in D.C., um, tell each other, you know, we're we're not doing this to to get rich. Uh, we would like to avoid going broke doing it. <laughs> right. It's really about. It's really about. Uh, promoting the the game because we believe in the game. um we believe in the the values it embraces. Uh, we believe it's it's but because of those values, it's a particularly good game for youth development through sports, uh, especially in in uh, some some areas. Uh, that are underserved and, and have fewer opportunities than, than lots of others. Um, it's a great alternative to more expensive, uh, more dangerous sports like American football, for example, and uh, um, we, we think is a something that, that should be grown. So our, our vision is not so much about uh, winning championships as it is about growing uh, the sport in our region. Uh, and we have a, a mission to grow participation in rugby within our region by 50 percent over the next five years and uh we we want to do that in a financially sustainable way so we're very committed to driving the commercial elements of what we do but it's all in service of of creating a a better future for the sport of rugby in the us
1: so so let's talk a little bit about you know the the construction of um of of the organization of of old glory Let's talk. Can you, can you share a little bit sort of like how it's structured, you know, what's your role? What's Paul's role? Um, how does um, Andrew Douglas, the head coach fit in? Who takes the mm-hmm. sort of commercial side? There's an operation side. There's the playing side. Can you talk a little bit about how you've, how you've structured the organization?
3: Sure. So uh, Paul Sheehy and I are the founding partners. Um, uh, He and I uh, joined forces in uh, uh, the spring of 2018 to put this together. Uh, We decided uh, when we did that that uh, although he and I were each investing as equal partners in the the, uh, ownership group, Uh, We wanted to put together a a broader group that brought in as many as uh, four, uh, maybe even possibly five uh, uh, investors who would bring not only capital, but um, some strategic value uh, to the table. Um, The first of those that we uh, successfully identified uh, and secured uh, is the Scottish Rugby Union. Uh, which uh, is a fully invested uh, partner uh, alongside uh, Paul and me. Um, They have a seat on our board, uh, uh, along with Paul and myself, um, which is uh, represented by by Scottish Rugby's Chief Operating Officer, Don McKay. Um, and, and today, the, the three of us are essentially the principal decision makers uh, of Old Glory in terms of its strategic direction uh, and how we're constructing ourselves. Um, Andrew Douglas, our head coach, was our first uh, permanent hire uh, in the organization, and he is responsible for all things rugby. Um, uh, everything that happens on the pitch, the player recruitment, um, development of the, the, the roster uh, has has all been under Andrew's direction and, and purview. Um, he is very ably assisted in those uh, things today by a director of operations named John Manson, uh, who we actually hired away from uh, one of the uh, uh, professional teams in Scotland, the Glasgow Warriors, uh, through the Scottish Rugby uh, Connection. Um, and he he uh, does does all the uh, coordination of the rugby uh, related contracting uh, player uh, welfare uh, logistics all, all those kinds of things. So really it's it's John and Andrew who run the whole rugby side of the house and then we also have a, a front office um, which is primarily focused on commercial activity on driving our, our sponsorship and corporate partner sales. Uh, and our ticketing uh, sales and, and revenues. Uh, so, and the principal people there are Jimmy Cudahy, uh, our chief revenue officer, uh, who has taken point uh, not only for us, but I would say for the league as well in negotiating media deals. So, he has helped the, the league to secure uh, the, the broadcast relationships it's going to have nationally this year, and he's been helping us to uh, secure our regional. Uh, broadcast deal here in in DC. Um, And then we have a gentleman named David Patamianos who heads our corporate partnership sales and he's been cultivating all of the terrific sponsor uh, partnerships we have and a gentleman named Whitney Stoll, who is our director of ticketing, and he's driving all of the, the ticket sales that are uh, uh, shaking out so successfully so far. So that's that's sort of the, the core group, uh, and and the two different sides of the house, and how how we uh, Paul uh, Scottish Rugby and I oversee it from the ownership level.
1: You know, we'll 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 have a chance to talk to Andrew about the uh, um, the, the playing side um, a little bit later today, and we're certainly looking forward to that. Um, one of the things that Old Glory seems to have done very well is it seems to be sort of ahead of the game in, in developing some of those partnerships with local businesses. I think you just announced a, a, a hotel partner. Um, is that is, is that, you know, uh, as someone who's, who's you know, has played a lot of rugby, being involved in rugby in D.C., there are a lot of expats there. There are a lot of people that have a rugby background. Has it been, has those co- commercial partnerships come from the rugby network or has it come from sort of the business network that you and Paul kind of have like where's, where's um, been the big driver for some of those things?
3: Yeah, there's some overlap between those two, but, but no, you just hit the nail on the head. It, it, it if we've had any success here, it's been because the rugby community has, has stepped up and, and shown its support. Um, we have uh, among, The the highest uh, level of uh, corporate partnership sales actually executed in terms of uh, cash sponsorships uh, in the league today. Um, And that was very much based on our outreach through the rugby network to. Uh, people in decision-making positions in organizations who who were rugby people—they were either former players or they are expats from countries that that love the game, uh, or they were parents of, of a, a rabid player or something uh, that gave them a real serious connection to the game and uh, made them rugby people. Um, our our. Uh, our, our presenting sponsor, the the company on the front of our jersey, Cuisine Solutions. Uh, that that partnership came about because of the CEO uh, still plays uh, old boys rugby, and he and I have actually knocked heads on on the pitch together over the last few <laughs> <Right. two> years. <laughs> and uh, you know, they they wanted to get behind what a sport they they believe in. Um, so it's been very much that uh, that kind of network. I think I think that was. M- Largely true throughout our whole launch period, meaning, you know, sort of leading up to this season. I think now we're seeing uh, a transition into a broadening of, of that um, uh, partnership pool into, into uh, uh, businesses that have an interest in, in aligning what, what, what the sport is doing, but, but weren't necessarily that, that immediate rugby network that was kind of the more low-hanging fruit for us. You've, um, you know,
1: I, I think that it's it's one of those things uh, when um, Old Glory was announced, you know, I talked to some people who sort of were like, well, you know, D.C. doesn't have any good rugby programs. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe not right now, but in the past, when you go back to when you and I played, it had some of the best programs in the country. And those are the guys that are now in the decision making positions. Right. And also. Well, exactly. Teams, so, you, you know, it, it's that's it's, right. It, it is. Absolutely a, a, a rugby hotbed, and I think it's going to be, um, I, I think it's, you know, I think you and Paul um, are going to win over a lot, of, um, a lot of neutral fans with your focus on, on, on growth of the game. Um, let's, let's, let's transition a little bit to facilities. So you guys are playing at Cardinal Stadium at Catholic University. Can you talk a little bit about why you selected that location? Facilities has been a big challenge for lots of major league um, uh, rugby teams. And, and there were you know, a number of options, I think, within sort of the uh, the DC area. You know, um, what is it about Cardinal University that attracted you there? And, and talk a little bit about your relationship with, um, so Cardinal Stadium, and talk a little bit about your relationship with Catholic University
3: yeah we're very pleased to have a terrific relationship with catholic university um there this is actually uh what what they consider their football stadium although they also play uh, lacrosse uh, soccer and and rugby in it Uh, but cardinal stadium uh, one it was the right size for us Uh, we we definitely want a facility that is sized uh properly for uh the the crowd we think we can draw and we want to we want a season full of sellouts um for for a number of reasons for for business reasons for environment reasons um for the the feel of the game when our our uh, team is there for what it looks like on television. Um, and, and Catholic was uh, exactly the right size. Uh, its location is outstanding. It's, and um, it not only has uh, good access uh, for driving there uh, being right off North Capitol street in DC, but uh, you can all, there's a, there's a Metro rail station right on campus. And anybody who knows DC knows that uh, DC people love their, their Metro rail. If, if uh, if you can get to a place by metro, it's part of civilization, and if you can't, it it may as well be, to, you know, <laughs> on another right. planet. Um, and uh, it's got great metro access, but but I think the, the the main thing is that the the beyond the stadium itself, that the uh, the surrounding area on the Catholic U campus lets us create. Um, a whole festival-like event day experience where adjacent to the facility we have um, a, a kids play zone with all kinds of games and, and activities and face painting and, and uh, whatnot going on. We have another area that's a, a beer garden area with live music and and. Uh, uh, beer tasting and food tasting stations at the other end we've got a a extraordinarily popular uh tailgating area where people spend uh, a whole day before the games uh getting together with their their clubs their 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 schools their Uh, uh, groups of friends. And and it's uh, because that has some views of the pitch from the tailgating area. We've even had people who line the fence at the tailgating area and never leave it throughout the whole game uh, during our exhibition games last year. It's it's just that popular an area to be. So it's a a very uh, conducive place to to having a whole uh, day of, uh, of rugby related Uh, festival activities Um, and that's that's really been the nicest thing about about there and if if we ever outgrow it um, uh, we're we're certainly going to have to uh, find a place that we can configure that kind of game experience and and whole event day around
1: well you know with your with your background in in developing sports stadiums is that something that's in the long-term plan I mean I think land around that area is pretty expensive right so to get someone it is. something that you know within the beltway is probably quite hard but is that part of the long term thinking for you and paul
3: it it has been although although uh, um You know, there there are a lot of different ways that can be accomplished. It is definitely part of our long-term plan. It is definitely part of the reason that I thought I could bring something to the table personally and and getting involved in this ownership group. Um, And, and, you know, uh, the expense of land just means that you, you need to partner with uh, somebody who, who controls land um, to, to be able to achieve that kind of project. Um, and there are such partners from the District of Columbia government to institutions like Catholic and, and others uh, who have the resources and um, uh, the, the land opportunities to do a, in, in partnership with us, uh, uh, do something in which we would also invest that would, would create uh, a win-win for for us and and others who may use the facilities. So, um, you know, we've we've uh, we gave a lot of thinking to that very early when we were putting our business plan together. To be honest, in, in the last year, we've been so focused on uh, putting the operation together and, and fielding the games that uh, we haven't progressed that plan a lot. But it remains very much uh, the, the long-term intent. Um, and, I, you know, there there needs to be a rugby-specific venue in this area. Uh, there needs to be one on the East Coast uh, off outside of a couple of the uh, college campuses that that have them. Um, and we, we intend to create one here in DC. Do you,
1: do you see, you know, you talked about this idea of a, of of a festival, you know, do we expect to see, you know, um, you know, high school games, college games to be around the DC glory games this spring? Is that, is that part of the plan? Is that something that the Catholic university allows you to do?
3: Yes, every one of our uh, professional MLR games uh, is going to be accompanied by some combination of, of curtain raiser games. Uh, those will range from uh, men's and women's senior level uh, select side uh, uh, games. Um, we, we are affiliated with the, uh, the, the capital selects, so the uh, capital rugby union's uh, select sides. They are branded the, the old glory selects um, They will be playing some games before our games uh, We will also have just as we did last spring. Uh, we had everything from um, uh, uh, Local high school powers like Gonzaga college high school, which is one of the great high school level pro rugby programs in the country um, uh, Local club rivalries like my like my club the Washington Irish against uh, Baltimore Chesapeake uh, um uh youth level uh age grade rugby uh, we we had and we'll have again uh games like like the Virginia middle school level all-stars versus the Maryland uh middle school level all-stars so we we really want to involve the whole rugby community in in our event days and what we're doing and and those those curtain Razor games are a terrific way to do it yeah and
1: i you know for for the fans out there, you can go to the um, old glory website and if you click down, you can look and they're, they're sort of collecting, you know, all the regional high school, college youth club games. So all of the schedules, you know, you can actually find them all on the old glory website, which I haven't seen with any of the other major league rugby teams. So that, that yeah, that's right. Yeah. That, 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 you know, it's a, it's a genuine, you know, um, connection and, and desire from old glory to be, to be part of the, the, uh, the rugby fabric. You know, the, the last thing I want to talk about, um, Chris, is your relationship with the Scottish Rugby Union. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think it was a, um, Jack Iscara who went to um, Glasgow this fall and kind of trained with them during the off-season. Um, you know, if you look at your squad, I, I think maybe one of the thinkings that, that people had when you had the Scottish Rugby Union come in is, as, as investors was that there'd be a lot of Scottish players that would come over and play, but there aren't that many Scottish players that have come over. Can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit about sort of what the value that um, old glory get out of that um, relationship with the Scottish rugby union?
3: Sure. Um, you know, they, the the beauty of Scottish rugby is that they are not only the national governing body of of the sport in Scotland, a, a tier one nation with one of the great, be traditions of the world, um, but unlike uh, American national governing bodies of sports, um, they they wear a number of different hats. They they are also the owners of the two professional teams in Scotland in in Glasgow and Edinburgh. They are also uh, the owners of and operators of Murrayfield Stadium. Uh, they are also one third owners of. Uh, the uh, Pro 14 league. They're one, six owners of the six nations tournament so that, you know, the biggest rugby properties in the world. Um, So uh, in the professional rugby world, there is nothing that they haven't, Uh, seen uh, or or done. And that means that they are a tremendous resource to us on the commercial side, as well as the rugby operations side. Um, You know, we've, we've only really had them invested with us for a year, but in that short time, we've seen that manifest in All all sides of our house, our our business side and our our rugby side. And it's been things from uh, every time we need to uh, proceed with a, a business. Uh, Item like like the recruitment of staff. Uh, There's a whole human resources department with with uh, a back ability to uh, vet and and background check candidates for us um, and templates for how to um, conduct uh, recruitment processes. Uh, on the commercial side all of our uh, ticket selling pricing strategies have been uh, tested and vetted with them um, all of the uh, 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 logistical uh, operational setup we do the fact that we've hired uh, a guy like John Manson our, our director of operations came to them so they in that room player side, I think we have just started to scratch the surface, but you're exactly right. Jack Ascaro, who, who was a, uh, a locally grown Gonzaga College high school kid, uh, played his, his college rugby at, at Cal, uh, was recruited by us as soon as he came out of school and, and promptly uh, shipped off uh, to a, a training contract with with Glasgow um, for for several months uh, before returning just in time to uh, join our training uh, here for the 2020 season and. Um, he, he came back, by the way, you know, the, the fittest player on the squad, the one who had, you know, benefited from the best rugby development over the preceding few months. So obviously over, over the long term, we want to enhance that kind of exchange, and it's, it's going to be very valuable to us. Um, there have been some discussions about, about uh, Scottish players uh, coming here, and I think that's going to increase uh, over time uh, situationally um you know the the roster as it stands today was was constructed very much by our our head coach who actually recruited from New Zealand uh so it's a little bit more reflective of of his network uh than it is of the the Scottish rugby influence but but the nice thing is that all of that has been fitting together very synergistically um and we're really excited about about the uh, uh the squad we've got together um, and I, I do think we're going to see more and more over time, uh, that kind of exchange with Scotland and that kind of influence, uh, from them on, on what we do.
1: Well, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time, um, to talk to us. It's been fascinating to hear, um, about your plans with old glory, how you guys have built the organization. Um, I, I know, uh, it's going to be probably exciting and nerve wracking at the same time, um, as you. Uh, play your first games. Of course, your first um, home game is um, none other than the um, two-time <laughs> champions. <right>? Yes.
3: So, <laughs> yeah.
1: so, so certainly a baptism of, of a fire early on. But um, you know, uh, they they have a following, and I bet we'll see some uh, Seawolves fans in the. Uh, um, Uh, in in the stands when you play that game. So thank you so much for your time um, and good luck with your inaugural season.
3: Thank you. Pleasure to speak with you. Take care.
1: So, Doug, thank you so much for making the time with us on Major League Rugby Kickoff.
2: No, it's great. Thank you. Thanks for making time for me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Now, now you've been involved with Old Glory for a while. they they brought you on board pretty early. But talk a little bit about your um, coaching career. You've you've coached around the world in many professional setups. And maybe what are some of the key influences um, on you as a coach that will impact the way you're approaching coaching Old Glory this year?
2: Yeah, I mean, like like many players, I sort of fell into coaching um, accidentally by default. Um, Got injured in my late 20s and um, started just helping out the local club. Um, got a bit of a bug for coaching and then um, was lucky enough to fall into to junior representative teams, coaching high school representative teams, moving through age group stuff in my, my home province of Waikato and, and had a little bit of success there. And then uh, John Mitchell actually at the time had just come back um, into New Zealand and, and taken over. Coaching Waikato and asked me to actually be the development coach, the coach basically underneath him. And he was uh, he was actually very good to me. He, he would he knew I was working full time as a teacher. He'd come into school and uh, we'd have little mini contact sessions in my little office at school. And, and uh I'd hate to think what the people next door thought the banging and the yelling that was going on around it. But uh, Mitch was great, and uh, he's a very intelligent rugby man. Um, and obviously great to see him finding success again with England now as well. But he uh, also
1: he, also a former Eagle coach. That's, correct. that's yeah, correct. He was he was here for a little while, but had a, actually a big impact. I think those people that have been involved in the US Eagles will say that John Mitchell sort of laid the foundation that that Gary Gold um, built off. So he was very impactful here, even though he was only here for a, a
2: year or two. Yeah, and look, he had major influence in the Waikato, obviously both as a player and, and as a coach. So um, had a bit of success there, and then and then took my local club to a, to a few championships. So I was lucky I was blessed with some very good players and, and it sort of gave me confidence and, and the ability to to go on with coaching and after that I took over to New Zealand secondary Schools, which was a a fantastic team to coach. You know, you get some of the you get the best talent in New Zealand at our under eighteen level coming through and to have be touched by those players and have those you know, high profile coaches obviously impact on that as well was, was pretty exciting. So um you know you're dealing with New Zealand Rugby Union and, and the people all the people involved there too. So yeah, I was pretty lucky uh, with quality with quality players at that time and had three uh, really really enjoyable years doing that. And if there's things, there's one coaching job I could go back to. it would be doing that type of, yep. of role it was so so much so enjoyable and the amount of players you come in contact with now who you see doing so well, it's it's quite heartening and, and, and really satisfying to see. Really, um, did a bit. a might 10 cups stint with Waikato. And then uh, a few years ago, headed overseas, went to Italy to a little town called Biella, which is just north of Milan. Who had big ambitions and um, a fantastic president and owner who who really got behind what he was trying to do. And he got me over there. I was actually in Hong Kong at the time with Chiefs Development when he rang and I said, "Can you come and help us out?" So uh, my wife, who's Swiss, she was pretty keen to get over there because was only about four hours away from her home. So yeah, yeah, she, she bent the arm a bit even further and said, "Yes, we're going." So we um, headed to Italy for a season. It was a three-year deal. And the idea was to get promoted after three seasons. And we got promoted after one. Wow. Um, and then Japan called. Uh, Leon Holden, who was head of Toyota Shuttles at the time, said, can you come and help me out? And I'd known Leon from our Waikato days. We actually played rugby together. When we were 18. So he said, look, I need some help. Can you, can you come across? And it was a contract. It was one of those deals. It was just too good to say no to. So it was a one-year deal. So I headed to Japan. And uh, had an interesting time in Japan. It's very different coaching. It's a lot more deliberate. It's almost uh, step by step. You're dealing through a translator, which is interesting because it takes a lot of the emotion out of, you, out of what you say, uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But you have to be so much more prepared. So you've got to have a conversation about your coaching before you actually go out and coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so actually what you're saying is, is, is quite clear. So um it's a massive learning for co- any coach i think those coaches who coach japan will understand what i mean the detail you've got to go into to get a message across is is um pretty unforgiving really um so that was interesting it was a tough lifestyle for for my wife and kids really it was we were outside of Nagoya, which is an industrial city there wasn't a lot around for them to do so that was tough coming from italy was we all family orientated and they had a fantastic time when well looked after and we were spoiled to Japan. We were quite isolated and, and the language barrier was massive. So um, my wife was pretty happy to head home and obviously I missed them. So I headed home as well. And and then uh, Paul, uh, Paul she called me and said, would you be interested in, in coming over and have a look here? And, and uh, I didn't know a lot about it to be honest. It was, um, I hadn't really thought about America. I was still having chats with people in Europe but I flew to DC, and and uh, Paul and Chris sort of convinced me this is this was a place to be. It was um, they've got a pretty firm goal, and and both successful men in, in their own rights, and both down to earth, really humble men, which is what really impressed me. Is they're successful, but they certainly don't don't show it outwardly. They're just just good people, and um, right. Right. seeing what they wanted to build, it, it was exciting to get here. So, you know, you've you've um
1: You've coached in a lot of different places. Um, you know, Obviously, you're, you're, you're preparing for the start of Old Glory season, but you coached four games last year. Is, is there anything unique or different about coaching in the States and coaching the American players that maybe is different than New Zealand or Italy or Japan? Yeah,
2: I have found American players very coachable um, because I think a lot of them start so late. They actually know that they, 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 they know there's a lot to learn. And they're, so they absorb everything you say. And, and sometimes they get too literally what you say. But <laughs> Right, they don't think for themselves, right? Yeah, They'll be like, what am
1: I supposed to do next? And you're like... Yeah, you're
2: just, so they, they, they take it literally. But they've been uh, an absolute um, pleasure to coach because they just suck it up. And that exhibition season, it was really, really enjoyable to have men around you who just, they wanted to learn, they wanted to do well. Like I said, a lot of them don't play rugby until they start college, whereas in New Zealand we start when we're five or six. So by the time they get to their late teens, early 20s, they, they do know a lot. Their IQ is really, really high. Um, and that's quite different here, obviously, but the ability to want to learn. I mean, there's no there's no issue with the athlete themselves. They're very good athletes here. Um, it's just trying to build that IQ with experience. So, you know, when, when you
1: look at, coaching an mlr expansion team relative to a team down in new zealand what is it that that, that's a little different i mean we saw it a little bit with the, the macos right they played houston and they played seattle and you know their instincts and their ability to play in transition is just better than what we have here they actually play faster they they move quickly so is there a difference about the way you prepare the team on the field because
2: we don't have that in the States? We do a lot of skill. I think I know it's a big difference when we went into Europe. In, in New Zealand, we do a lot of skill coaching, a lot of ball handling, uh, a lot of technique around the contact zone, and we'll possibly only do the last little bit of training will be a 15v15 type scenario. Whereas in Italy, that's all they wanted to do was 15v15. So, but I think in New Zealand, we sort of, because our, you know we've, we've played rugby for so long, we just try and make us the most skilled we can. So when it comes to those transition times or or counter times, those skills just kick in, and the footwork and the instinct kicks in. Um, so that was the biggest difference for me in Europe, and I've probably brought that to the States in terms of that. We're doing a lot of skill work. We did a lot of ball handling, uh, working how to keep a ball alive, how to build continuity, um, and around speed as well, like how how to play fast. Right, right, and
1: I think it's the it's the ability. To play fast, that is, or at least in in, in in Major League Rugby, right? Those abilities to play fast when you want to play fast and play effectively—that I think teams have done. It's one one of the things that's been really important for Seattle and San Diego, two of the most successful teams in the first two years—is their ability to up the tempo and be able to play quickly. Maybe not as for as long a period for as many phases as teams in New Zealand, but for, if you can do it for three or four phases, you're going to create a try scoring opportunity.
2: Yeah, I I agree. And I think, you know, what Seattle's probably done really well is um, their set piece has always been very, very secure. So they've always had their own ball to play. And then I think they're big and strong and can strangle teams. And and like you say, they've been well conditioned and and obviously player driven. They have been able to up tempo when they've they've wanted to. And I think, um, you know, we saw that against San Diego last season, that last minute. I think we all know what happened. Um, San Diego had the game won. Um, I probably wouldn't have wanted my my team to kick a drop goal and give the ball away. I would have rather he held that ball, personally. Yeah. But, you know, it's the heat of battle, so you've got to trust your players. But Seattle, obviously, they backed their set-piece from that uh, resulting penalty, and, and uh, that was their strength. And I think both teams absorb pressure really, really well. You saw a number of teams want to come at them at times, and, and they're able to absorb that, and then just twist the knife a little bit and, and dig in and, and uh, get results. So, um, And I think they'll both be very similar this season. So,
1: you know, you're um, the head coach, but you also take the responsibility for pretty much everything around the rugby playing, right? So a lot of, um, you know, the, the squad building, uh, the, you know, how, how you want the team structured. Talk a little bit about your approach. Did you look at previous major league rugby teams and see what they did? Um, how you used your experiences in New Zealand, Italy, and Japan in terms of, because this is building a squad like it's literally, there's no team. Right? And so, no, you, can, right. you know, you know, it's not like you've come in, you've got it like, so how did you even start thinking about creating a new squad?
2: It was actually the beauty of the job because you, you never get a chance in professional rugby to build a squad from scratch. Normally, when you go into a job, you're taking over somebody else's squad and right. you add the right. odd player here and there. But to actually start and add even the number of players you want to add was up to, was up to me. So I could have had a squad of 40 depending on how far I stretched the salary cap, or I could have had a squad of 25. So that was really exciting. And I think rugby's always won on culture. You know, you can be technically superior, but if players don't really want to play for each other, it's pretty tough to win in rugby. It's not like soccer where you can have a Ronaldo and, and win majority of your games, or even football where you have the best quarterback and you'll win a number of your games. And rugby, if, you've, if you haven't got that that culture right, you're always going to struggle. So... I knew that was going to be a key thing to get the right type of personality here as well. And um, I sort of looked at it. I broke the salary cap up and, and looked at key positions I wanted to target and key personalities I wanted to target. Um, so people like Appy Nikatini, I sort of early on, I wanted a, a, a hard man who could win his own ball defensively really strong and others would want to follow. And uh, had a little um, in there with uh, Waisaki Serevi. Him and I had a chat. Seattle let me talk to him. And so we agreed to terms. So Uppy was one of the first ones I signed. The other one was a kid called Gordon Fullerton from New Zealand who's an American, got a U.S. passport. Mum's an American. And he's a tight head prop, so the other key position. So Right. And then I went around key targets that I wanted. I wanted a, a, a key 10. So Jason Robinson, again, I knew from back home. Um, so he was a target. And then talked to a few people around nine and uh, came up with Danny Tusitala. So I had key targets I wanted to talk to and then obviously key Americans that I wanted and Threaten Palamo, his brother Toshi has been a, a good friend of mine while I've been in DC and I uh, got talking to, to Threaten and uh, talking to him there was still a hunger and a drive there to really want to succeed. Um, he's a heck of an athlete Threaten. He you knows a big strong man. he has a fantastic feet. He's fast and I, we just needed him fit. You know, he had a lot of injuries and I um, also wanted him excited about playing rugby. I wanted to see a smile on his face and and I think we've got there with Threaten. You know, he's one of our leaders. He's co-captain at the moment. Um, he's looking the fittest. He's looked for a long time. He's really happy in his rugby. And, and I think if we can keep him fit, uh, keep the body going, I think you'll see a very good Threaten Palamo this season. So he was, he was another key. And then I wanted a couple of boys who'd done really well during the exhibition season to, to keep, to reward those who, who had done some hard work for us. So guys like Josh Brown, I thought, deserved that opportunity He led really well during that season, and um, he's just a good man. You know, he's a first responder. He's uh, got all the values and character you want in an American rugby player. So he was an easy one for me in terms of of signing him on too. And then I targeted four places for college kids to try and build sustainability in Old Glory. Um, Jack Ascaro is obviously a local boy. Went to Gonzaga High School here in D.C., and his dad, Paolo, played for Italy. And I talked to Jack Clark about him. Uh, the Cal Berkeley coach and uh, again Jack was a pretty easy signing for me as well and then Mike Davis and uh, Jack McLean who had connections to DC rugby as well and uh, the final was Nick Mirisham who was a Cal Berkeley captain last season again had all those personal qualities that I wanted in a young guy so those were my four college picks that I that I wanted and I got the, the top four that I wanted I got uh, which was pretty pleasing and then it was just trying to find the right people to fill gaps locally and, and uh, from, from New Zealand, Australia. So um, talk to me a little bit when
1: Paul and Chris called you up and said, hey, we've got a pretty decent loose head prop. He won't be able to come for pre-season because he's recovering from winning
2: the World Cup. How did that <laughs> conversation go? Yeah, something like that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it was the bullshit he rang me and said, do you want him? And I said, Paul, you'd be mad to say no to the best Lucid prop in the world. I said, but, right. but, you know, where are we sitting? I need, to set a, I, you know, I need to tell you we're sitting on salary cap. And I told him where we were at. And I said, um, you know, what's his reasons for coming? I want him to know why he wants to come. Does he want to be here for the right reasons? And so Paul said, well, why don't you meet him? And I said, yeah, okay. So he came to DC and, and uh, Tender and I went out for lunch together. Had a great conversation. He's a fantastic man. He's humble. Um, loves the game of rugby and, and just loves America and wants to be here. And so once we got through that and Paul said, right, do you want him again? And I said, yes. So Paul drove up, drove up to New York and, uh, and got the B signature really. And so obviously there's a few details to work out um, around that, but it was a, it was a conversation went off for probably about two months, I think. And I just thought initially, there's no way he'll come here. You know, I, th- I thought, yeah, if we get him, it's great. But I sort of built a squad where I was pretty happy with the loose props I had. But when you're a player of that quality with that character, uh, it's pretty exciting. And Right. Um, yes, he's missed preseason. But in fairness to him, when he goes to the Sharks, he, he misses preseason as well. It turns out one week before their first game, because he usually has a long international season, right. he's always in outstanding condition. Um, fitness-wise and conditioning-wise, he's a heck of a specimen. So, um, I'm not too worried about that side of things. It'll just be getting to understand the play, players, how we want to play the game, et cetera. And, but he's a very intelligent man, so I think he'll switch on pretty quickly.
1: You know, I think that if you, if you look at some of these really top um, overseas international pros that have really made a difference, while they've been great on the field, it's the impact that they've had on the players around them that's been important. I know in San Diego, getting Paddy Ryan to come in at Tight Head, it was much more about the mindset of their scrum as well as his ability. So I'm sure that there's a lot of, um, you, you know, young players and hopefully the young Americans that are just going to, you know, get their game raised, but it's certainly, uh, um, an, you know, an exciting opportunity to, to see someone like that play rugby in America.
2: Oh, I think, and I think his influence it'll have here will be immense just based on the person that he is. And I think that professionalism can only, you know, start to, to, to seep through into to other players and, for a young guy like Jack Ascaro, who unfortunately is injured at the moment, um, he could be huge in terms of growing his career. And you know, I think Jack could be a future US Eagle. And to have a guy like uh, Tendai there mentoring him now, I, I think is uh, massive for him.
1: Um, let's talk a little bit about the season. Um, you know, you start off, uh, you know, um, what, what are your goals for the season? Like, like, what would be a successful season? Are you targeting playoffs? Is it, is it more process?
2: goals and outcome goals how are you how are you thinking about your system (laughs) you know i mean the 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 pc the pc answer i'd give you if i was like a young 36 year old coach would be it's all about performance and we're going to try and improve every game and the reality is every coach wants to win you know i mean you can say all the right (laughs) things and i can can give you all the jargon and i'm sure you've heard it all before but reality is we want to win um but that's that's going to be really tough there are some very good teams who are well coached in this competition so You know, on our pool, we've got to finish in the top three to make playoffs. So that's the reality of it. I think if we can make top three and we make playoffs, um, that'll be good because playoffs become one-off games. And as we saw in the World Cup, anyone can win a one-off game. Um, So I think that's that's where we have to be, top three of our conference. Um, Mm. Of course, we want to grow. And of course, we want to build during the season. And of course, we want to develop young players, all those things. But, you know, Mike, I'm I'm in a game where you, if you don't win, you don't have a job. So right. that's just the reality of professional coaching. Everyone knows that. And uh I think Chris and Paul will want to see progress. They'll wanna see um a package that people want to come and see. And they're like me, they love winning. And um that's the goal is if we can make playoffs, comes one off games and, and anything can happen. So, you know, you you've you've had a couple of um preseason games, right? So you played um Navy
1: and then you um and then you played Atlanta, do you have do you know what your best fifteen is? Do you know what your best combinations are?
2: Not a hundred percent no no, I've got a fair idea of most of them, but not all of them at this stage um, navy uh that's a great relationship for us to have. you know they're a fantastic um, group of people there, and it was built about building that relationship as much as as giving players an opportunity so Obviously, the scoreline was fairly one-sided, but in saying that, Navy gave us a bit of a challenge and it was a chance to give our whole squad a run in, in decent minutes. Atlanta were a different beast again. I think we were their fourth or fifth in squad that they've played this season, so they were fairly, fairly set in what they were going to do. Whereas we were still trying to play different patterns, holding, you know, doing certain things, but not other things. We didn't really want to exit during that game. We just wanted to put some attacking formats in place and. We struggled to do that because we didn't have any ball, really. So our set piece didn't function, and that's that's probably down to me. I haven't really given it the time it deserves. Um, So our defensive system's got a good workout against Atlanta. And to still win after that was was pretty pleasing. I think we had 30% of possession and lost a penalty count 22-5. And to have those those stats against us shows I think we've got enough individual brilliance there to, to upset a few teams. And once we put that into a cohesive unit, it'll be even better, I'd say.
1: Well, you know, you're up against um, NOLO, which is one of, one of your competitors for the top three. Um, you know, you're out, out at New Orleans first. You get to host Seattle, the two-time champions for your first home game. Um, and then it's Houston and Austin. So, you know, two of, two of the teams that haven't done so well. Like at the end of that first month, where do you want to be?
2: I want to be with 26 fit players, hopefully. Um,
1: that's, a, I, that's not like it's, it's this is a tough, you know, it, the, uh, you know, Seattle have done well the last couple of years, but they've also been pretty healthy.
2: Right. Yeah, look at it, it's massive because, you know, we're a sports has got around 29 professionals. If I can have 26 fit after four rounds, I'm doing really, really well. Right. Um, look, it's a really tough start to have Nolan Seattle. I'm not gonna be buying the George Stewart any champagne soon, but um, it's also quite nice to be chucked on the deep end early and just see just see where you stand and to have our first home game as a team against the, the two time champions, that's that's also exciting. And right. should get the fans excited as well. They've got to come here and you know, February weather in D C can be unpredictable, could be anything, could be a snowstorm, could be seventy degrees and sun beaming down on us, we just don't know. Right, it really us. could be I'm kind of hoping, I'm just kind of hoping it's not raining because I'll probably like that, whereas we'll we're just, we're just want it cold. Um, but Nola's an exciting team to play because they love to play rugby. I think Nola's great for the competition. Nate Osborne's a good coach. He, he loves, he's, you know, got a positive mindset around rugby as well. Um, so I think that could be a really insane game to play. But to go from a DC midwinter down to a Nola where it's going to be humid and, and warm will be interesting. But again, we're really excited about that opportunity to get down there and play. Um so after four games, look, I think if we're if we're two and two, I'm not too unhappy.
1: Yeah, I think I think I mean it's sort of like I think for all of the expansion teams, you want to be um in a position to get into the playoffs in the second half, right? Your learning curve's gonna be steeper than the established teams. And so if you can be in the mix in the second half of the season, you've got to think that you've probably got a good chance
2: of kicking on. Uh, exactly. That's part of the reason having a limited pre-season because we know you're not going to win this championship now. You're going to win it, you know, at the end of May, June. So, um, you know, it's pretty tough training conditions up here with the cold at the moment. So, you know, we want to make sure that we're, we're humming at the right time of the year. So, like I said, if we're going to be 2-2, two two, it means we're still in touch. And hopefully it gives us something to build and kick on with come later part of that season.
1: Well, Andrew, thank you so much for your time, sharing your background, your experience. Like, I, I, you know, we appreciate the coaches that come on and are honest. You know, I love like, like, you know, you're obviously a very direct guy. You you're like, hey, yeah, I, I, I had four, co- you know, four spots for college kids. I went for the four guys and I got them all. like it was it was great. It was great to hear that. Um, we're excited to have uh, old glory, as, as I expressed in in my conversation with Chris. Um, DC is my old stomping grounds as a player and a coach. So, so I know it. that there's a there's a there's a passion. A, there's a passion for rugby. Um, down in uh, down in DC and so we're all excited to see
2: Old Glory step up and join Major League Rugby. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks nice for having us and uh, look forward to talking further in the season.
0: Well, there you have it. A long one. Now, is that our first doubleheader, Pete? We've had two...
2: I think that's our guy. first... I think that,
1: that, that's our first doubleheader. We really appreciate the time when people come on the show and it's great to sort of hear the excitement that both of those guys have about sort of being pioneers, doing something new, and um, you know, building this new franchise. I mean, if we're excited for the first game in nine sleeps, um, uh, those guys are, are very, very excited. And uh, you know, I know as a coach, you, you get to this point in the preseason, and you know as a player, Dan, you get to this point where you just wanna play for real, right, it's sort of like, you've done probably most of the things you need to do, some of it is probably just a bit of recovery some fine tuning, but you're just ready to play, and I think these guys are going to be ready to play.
0: Yeah, it's the excitement of fresh cut grass and no more preseason training. It's uh, finally, right. <laughs> finally right here. You can go. But um, give me your prediction. Do you think they make the top three in the East? I don't think they make the top
1: three in the East, but I think that they'll be competitive, and I think that for all of the um, all of the um, expansion teams. Their goal is to be competitive, to push some of the top teams to show what they can do and to learn. I don't think, you know, we've done all of the, um, uh, we've done all of the um, expansion teams. And I think if there's one that's gonna gate crash the party, right, that will force out, Nola, you know, Toronto and Rooney, um, you know, my money would actually be on Atlanta. I think they've had the best infrastructure to build on. Um, with their relationship with life Um, they had uh, you know the 404 team where a lot of their domestic players got to play Um, and you know I think that they've got a coach there that that is pretty special so um, you know my money would be on Atlanta but I expect both the Free Jacks and Old Glory to to be competitive um, and to um, compete with those top teams in the East.
0: Well, those two sides actually met on the weekend in preseason action, and we'll jump into the preseason action right now. It was Old Glory 35 17 over Atlanta. And before everyone in DC starts running to the Marriott with uh, your torches and pitchforks to get after Pete for saying they're not going to make the three, in Atlanta will look at the score. It's preseason. So we'll just relax until those teams run into each other. Pete, anything from that game? Uh, it was uh, not televised, behind closed door, but looked like a very healthy crowd from the photos I saw.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of excitement in DC. So DC is my old stomping ground. You know, I played for the for the Potomac Rugby Union back in the um, you know in the day. There's a lot of um, you know there's a lot of expats. There's a lot of great youth and college rugby in the area. I think I think it's gonna be it's gonna be good. You know, I'm not sure that there's much to see in any of these, <coughs> excuse me, preseason games because you never know what the teams are trying to accomplish. You don't know, you know, um, what kind of squad they put out. You're not sure what their goals are, but I think it is important for these teams to actually sort of experience high quality play and it's good for them to gain confidence by playing well. And I think that's what old, old glory got from that game. I know, um, the rugby ATL side. I mean, I think they had a 10-hour drive up to DC, and it was all part of um, Scott Lawrence's plan. You know, we heard him talk last week about how the people side of coaching is something that, you know, he's really understood to be important. And, you know, I expect Scott had goals that were um, beyond the scoreline on that first trip, trying to maximise the
0: time that they have together. Yeah, like I said, preseason never... Uh... Never, I think Cleveland Browns went 4-0 and in the preseason one year, then didn't win a game all year. So go and figure. But uh, a lot, quite a few games involved MLR sides. So we had the Raptors over Austin, 22-21. NOLA over Houston, 47-12. San Diego over Utah, 61-14. Uh, we mentioned the Old Glory one. And then the two non-MLR games was New England, the Free Jacks against the Independents, again, 84-21. So definitely looking to... Uh, exploit some of their attacking prowess there are the Free Jacks. And then the Sea Wolves beat uh, Tasman up there in Seattle, 29-21. The big talking point out of this were the injuries to Seattle with uh, Flyhalf, Ben Seamer, and then Brockstall on the wing picking up what appeared to be uh, somewhat serious injuries out of the game, Pete. Yeah,
1: yeah I mean, um, you know, the news that I've heard is that um, uh, Brock Stoller's injury isn't too bad. Um, ben Seema definitely um, got a concussion, but they don't expect him to be um, out uh, you know, for any extended length of time, although you never know with concussions. You also, in the research in, in, in concussions, and I speak of this as a, uh, um, a non-medical person, but at Penn State, when I was there, we were part of um, a pretty uh, um, extensive uh, concussion study which was actually one of the very first one they did it in the NHL before anyone was really talking about concussions. So the severity of the concussion that you see, right? So if you see someone like gets knocked out, right, which I think was, you know, Ben Seema's experience actually is not a good indicator of recovery. So it's sort of one of those things where someone can get knocked out and two days later they can be fine or someone can just get their head banged and it could last a month. So it's very, very interesting. But I think it sounds... I mean, first of all, I thought it was a great game. Um, you know, I talked to a couple of the Seawolves guys and they were just talking about, you know, the two things about the Tasman team is that, number one, is they just played much faster than sort of anything that really happens in Major League Rugby. And even though they were young, their, their intensity in the contact was something that, that the Seawolves also struggled with. But I was actually pretty impressed. I mean, I think the Seawolves were up 12 nothing at halftime. Which was when they really had their top team out. I think that's a good performance for the SeaWolves, and I think that you know they've got a uh, um, some really talented players that they've added that I think will be really important for them.
0: Yeah, I watched quite a bit of the game and was impressed with both sides, and you know a lot to be excited about. Yeah, (laughs) and the crowd, such such a noisy crowd crowd
1: in in Seattle. I think that's actually
0: starting to drive some of the other teams a little bit more too. That the Seattle are getting such good crowds. You can see the the fan base starting to take that personally at some other clubs, and they're starting to. Change. I think we'll get really good crowds this year. I'm really optimistic. Uh, touch wood that the weather's not too cruel like it was last year, and we get some good crowds early on to these games. and, uh, well, I, and yeah, and, and I
1: thought
0: infectious. what was really,
1: yeah, I thought I thought was really interesting for the SeaWolves is that, you know, um, it was the the stream was done by the fans. And it was put on their um, Facebook group. And they had 150 new fans during their Facebook group so they could watch the stream.
0: That was one of them. And
1: I went, and, and you were one of them. And I went and looked at sort of the comments. And I bet of the 150, I, I think the Seawolves have added uh, at least 100 New Zealand Seawolves fans, right, who are now like, wow, I now have, an, like, I've seen a major league rugby team play I like the way I play. Now I'm going to follow them. And I think that's the thing that is going to be really interesting in year three. We've got some big names coming into the league. And I think the international exposure and the international interest is going to be really, you know, it's going to be really important and the Seawolves and the Seawolves fans doing something, I think tangibly helped like Seattle
0: grow their fan base overseas. Yeah. It's a global game, Pete. With a global audience, so it is a global game. I have no dramas with that. Uh, Toronto and New York had uh, a scrimmage, um, a little bit of a controlled session there where they did some situational stuff. Actually, did it at the practice facility, the uh, Buffalo Bills, which is kind of cool up there. In uh, it is in
1: cool. It is cool. Buffalo. Buffalo. So it's, yeah, so they they played. Um, so they did some set piece work against each other with scrums and line outs and. From the reports that I read, Toronto had the slight edge maybe in the scrum, but New York still had a very, very good line out. And then they played, I think, four 12-minute periods. And, you know, the um, football pitch isn't wide enough, so they play across, they play up and down, right? So they actually marked it out, which is is what they've done. And I think it's a really interesting um, way of preparing. I think it's very, very good for technical coaching like if you really wanna just like focus on some particular things, the concern that I would have, and and you know this, Dan, is that there's nothing quite like playing 80 minutes to get like your stamina legs right, to get used to playing 80 minutes. And so they're gonna have, you know, New York and Toronto are gonna have to do some work to make sure that those guys don't fall off the edge two weeks from now after like 60 minutes of the game are gone because it's really hard to like, I don't know that you can actually like condition and you just have to like you know there's playing fitness, and I think the only way you really get that is by playing the games.
0: All right, Pete. We've done all the teams. Last thing to do. Give me your top three from the east, top three from the west. I'll do the same. Aaron's going to write it down, and then uh, we will come back and revisit it.
1: Okay, is this in order?
0: No order, no just 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 three from the east, three from the west.
1: All right, well, first of all, let's do the East. So, because I think the East is, is going to be relatively simple, because I think the East is going to be Rooney, Toronto, and Nola.
0: Okay, we have no differences there.
1: <laughs> Hold on. No, 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 no. I, I don't want you to be like, um, I mean, this is typical, right? I don't, you know, you're not there going, no differences, like building, like basically jumping off my IP here. Is that
0: what you're doing? Your IP. It's the three talented rosters IP, <laughs> not your IP.
1: No, but I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm telling you, here's my, here's my prediction. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to do that as well. Why don't you tell me uh, your, your predictions for, um, for, for the West?
0: I will give you my predictions for the West first. I have, in no particular order, Seattle, San Diego, I'm writing these down so I don't forget them myself, and I am going to go for a little bit of a uh, little of a squirrely one here. I think Colorado's in with a chance, but I'm actually going to go for Houston. I will say Houston will go yes. in, and I know you won't agree with that. So there will be our different, uh, differential I don't
1: know. I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm not like I. I, I was so I think Seattle and um, San Diego are definitely the two. I'm um, I'm you know I think Austin has had way too much like way too much of a challenging off season. I think they might struggle at the start and and it'll be hard for them to catch up. Colorado's had a lot of turnover. I think I think that the Sabercats, Cats, you know, I another one of you know, I look at the quality players that they have and I think, you know, Sam Windsor is just such a quality player. The challenge with the Sabercats cats is that they've really lived off their scrum. And I just don't know that their scrum is going to be as strong as it has been. But <clears throat> it's really going to be about, because I think San Diego and Seattle are going to be the class of the West. So it's going to be those head-to-head matchups, I think with Colorado, Houston, and Utah, and how they do against each other, that's going to be really, really interesting. And that you know, it's not going to be how well they do against the top teams. It's going to be how well they do against each other. Let me think. All right, so, okay, so I'm going to, like, I was thinking Houston, but as you have done Houston, and I don't want to be accused of stealing your IP, um, I'm going to go with Utah.
0: Utah. Wowzers. Utah.
1: Well, look, I'm I'm banking on your compatriot, Chris Latham. I think they've got a great coaching staff. They They played well. So you have to remember that both Houston and Utah played better at the end of the season than they did at the start um you know they've got some really good people working um with the warriors that i think can you know both in coaching staff and and back office they've got a good fan base you know um they've got a beautiful stadium it's going to be close but i think i think you know utah could pull it off
2: so we haven't seen utah on film but we've seen two score lines and the two score lines did not look good how long do you think it will take their form appear
1: so so like yeah i mean it's a good question aaron and what i would say about score lines is that um my guess is that that's a staff that is learning about their players and that i bet if you looked at the lineups you would see two very very different lineups the same way houston's like if you looked at houston's lineup against nola i mean what was the score 47 12 but houston played their best side against um Against Tasman, and then played their second time against notes, second side against Nola. Nola played their best side, so it's going to be a blowout. So, so I don't, i don't know. I'm, I'm, you know, I think Utah will have, um, I, you know, I think they'll have a chance. So like I said, you know, I would have probably gone for Houston if I'd gone first, but as Dan um, had Houston, I'm going to choose something else, and I'm going to choose. And it was either like you know the Raptors or Utah. I mean, you know, it's going to be one of those two. Um, and I thought, I'll just go for Utah. I, I like their jerseys
3: better.
0: That's how I chose them. <laughs> I haven't seen Digby, Yuani or Rennie Ranger on any of the preseason rosters for Colorado, too, so I'm kind of curious to see if them are well, yeah. you number
1: Yeah, a number of, a number of players, of, you know, visas are taking a little bit longer than they used to, so I think a number of these guys are waiting for their visas to clear before they can come over, but you're right about about Colorado and, and not having two of their studs so um, that that could be have you know that could be uh, um, a big a big difference but we saw Thompson right the, uh, the um, that was supposed to come to Utah is now signed with the Chiefs
0: that's right Adam, yeah. Thompson. Adam Thompson you're right
1: yeah and and so you know that's a big that's a big loss for Utah but that might open a spot for them to actually bring someone else in
0: and that's the other part too there's uh just because we're at the end of January doesn't mean that you know these teams are settled on their rosters. There's a lot of flex- flexibility and you know ability to sign players as the years go, as we've seen in the first two years as well. I have lost you, Pete, or oh, you're just so shocked at my uh, input. Oh, there he sorry, is. Sorry.
1: Yeah. Um, you might actually see a number of. Uh, UK players begin to come over because the season in the UK ends at the end of April.
2: Saracens.
0: <laughs> that was, that yeah. was <laughs> a lot of jokes online that a lot of Saracens players will come over to the MLR now because uh, what has happened there, but I don't know. I don't, I don't
1: think like, I mean, they. I think the top players at Saracens earn the um, more than the total salary cap that a major league rugby team has.
0: Yeah, we know that. That's what this whole drama is about. They were earning much, much more.
1: (laughs) No, but even like, even the legal side. So, so a top player in, you know, in the UK, um, at a team like Saracens would earn, you know, 500,000 pounds a year. So what is that? Maybe $600,000, maybe a little bit more. A little
0: bit more, yeah. You know,
1: that, yeah. Um, but it's, you know, that's, that's more than the salary cap that's that's what we're competing against um for major league rugby in terms of like getting players like that and that's why we're seeing some of these guys at the end of their careers coming over because you know you, um at major league rugby you've got one game a week 17 weeks and then you're done it's just a 6 month kind of commitment and it allows your body to recover for the other 6 months while if you play in the UK you're starting in august and potentially ending at the end of may so it's just you know there's not much time for a a player whose body wants to you know if you want to manage that and so major league rugby i think is just better for player welfare and so i think we'll continue to see see some of these guys come over and and do well Um, you know when they get into their early
0: 30s and they want to extend their career Why not? Makes sense, Pete. I wish I would have extended something as well. But here we are. We're going to wrap this one up. We're going to put a bow on it. Pete, where do they find us? Well, obviously, the founders are listening to us. But what do we need to do now, now they've listened? Well, so
1: we we really want to have a big push. We're hoping to have a special episode next week. So check out all of the Major League Rugby socials as we uh, we plan our last show before the start of the season. but yeah, you know, please, if you can leave uh, ratings and reviews wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Stitcher, wherever it is, um, that helps other people find us and it helps grow Major League Rugby and the, uh, and the brand of Rugby in America.
0: I love it, Pete. Love the show. Next week, we will have a big one. We'll get it out there on the socials, what's going on, but it will be the last show before the season starts, so we'll have plenty to get into. We're going to do a little bit of uh, engagement and interaction too. But like Pete said, keep an eye on all the social media platforms, for MLR and the teams, and hopefully uh, get get that show kicked off next week. Pete, I'm excited, mate. Nine sleeps. Can you believe it?
1: Nine sleeps. Well, it's uh, um, 11.10 right now in Washington, D.C., so I'm ready to get one of those sleeps out of the way. You go do
0: that one for Pete Steinberg. Aaron Castro, I'm Dan Power. This has been the MLR Kickoff.